And good morning, Trinity. We'll be looking at, oh, already <laughs> killing the mic here. We'll be looking at Hebrews 2 this morning. I'm Josiah Carey. I'm the pastor on grounds for Reforms University Fellowship. And it's a joy for me to be with you today because I'm a child of this church. I started attending this church when I was five years old, and this is the place where I've been formed and shaped in Jesus Christ. I've been loved by many of you who are here, still here today. Um, and so it's a total gift to be back in this church and community, which I love. I want to thank you for the warmth um, and invitation which you, with which you've reached out to my family. It's, it's meant a lot um, since we've arrived. I was hesitant to mention this. This isn't the way you want to kick off, but um, I experienced a concussion yesterday, so I'm going to do my best to make it through. Um, but if I'm stumbling a bit, this is the reason why. So I ask that you'd even pray for me now. Um, friends, I can't be more enthusiastic about Jesse Robinson being installed as our associate pastor today. I think most of you are aware, but Jesse has been everywhere doing everything on behalf of our church um, through a really difficult time to keep this church journeying towards Jesus. And Jesse, I think you're over here somewhere. I don't know where you are now. Uh, but I hope that you know how tremendously grateful we are for your labors and your loving care. Friends, do you ever stop and wonder, does my life reflect my priorities? Am I paying attention to the things that I want to pay attention to? This is consistently a question I feel challenged by. Today's passage raises a slightly different question for us to keep in front of ourselves, which is, am I paying attention to what God wants me to? And Jesse, if you're in here, <laughs> you have arrived at Trinity thinking you were going to be a typical assistant pastor, life was going to be semi-boring, and you're going to get to focus a bit on a PhD. And God has been kind to make your experience anything but that for you. Jesse, these are words for you. <laughs> God has been kind to make your life here anything but the boring uh, pastoral, which probably is never boring, but the boring assist assistant pastor experience for the last few years. And I imagine in the flood that's come your way, you've been haunted by the question, am I paying attention to the things that God wants me to pay attention to? And that's our question this morning. Friends, let's look together at Hebrews 2. <clears throat> Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him 
who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for the teaching of it. Father, we ask you would be here among us to work in our hearts by your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and make Jesus big to our hearts, we pray. Amen. So many of you have seen the 2020 documentary, The Social Dilemma. It brought to light today's attention economy, where companies such as Facebook make money by keeping our attention on their web pages for as long as possible. For these companies, we are their product. In the documentary, the former president of Pinterest confesses the company's strategy as this. How much of your life can we get you to give us? How much of your life can we get you to give us? And so these websites and apps and even your phone itself are designed to draw and keep our attention so that we pay attention to what companies intend rather than what we intend. And I imagine you know about, you, about this. You found yourself scrolling, watching the next video, and then you realize you never intended to give that much time and attention to such a meaningless thing. I don't know about you. My phone tells me I spend hours each day uh, on it, hours. And if I'm spending hours on my phone each day, that's the life I'm living, a life of paying attention to my phone. John Maxwell tells me if I spend a single hour a day learning something, I'll be an expert on it within five years. And that's sobering as I spend hours of my life on my phone. A, a neuroscientist writes, paying attention involves choosing what to ignore. For an object to come into the spotlight, thousands of others must remain in the shadows. In other words, it's impossible to pay attention to everything. To pay attention to something necessarily means that we reduce our attention on other things. To elevate one thing requires we demote others. So what we pay attention to shapes us. It shapes me with respect to what I learn, what I value, what, what I choose, and who I become. And the brain science supports this. Neuroplasticity is the idea that your brain is incredibly flexible and always changing in light of its experience and our choices. And this concept reveals that what we focus on shapes the physical structure of our brains. Where you give your attention directly impacts who you become. And so I don't think it's a stretch to say where you give your attention is where you give your life. Where you give your attention is where you give your life. And that's why it's how much of your life can we get you to give us. You may recognize the idea of attention from mindfulness. That idea behind mindfulness is you have power over what you set your attention on. And then we must learn to pay attention to and be intentional about what we focus on. And I think we've thought this idea might be more from Eastern religions. And Jesus has nothing to offer with respect to paying attention. But this could not be further from the truth. Think about Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Think about Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I want you to think about our passage today. Verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Biblically, where we place our attention matters enormously. And I think most everyone would agree that if we're giving attention to things we don't want to, that's not a life well lived. But what I want to underline for us this morning is the more important question. Are we paying attention to the thing God wants us to pay attention to? 
There's a famous experiment where observers are asked to watch people dribble and pass a basketball. And one, one team is dressed in white and one team in black. And each team has a ball and is dribbling and passing it between people on their team. And the observers are asked to count how many passes happen between the white, the white team, the team dressed in white. It seems like a straightforward task. But at the end of the experiment, the question you're asked is, did you see the gorilla? <laughs> and what you find is that you were paying, att paying attention to the wrong thing. While you were paying attention to the white team passing the ball, you completely missed the person in the black gorilla costume who walked across the stage and beat his chest in the middle of it. See, so what we focus on determines not only where we give our life, but it determines what we see. And we're starting to notice this effect in the diverse media bubbles that we inhabit. I think a great exercise is, exercise is to compare the front pages of different news websites and think about how the stories they're leading you to pay attention to, like the top story on each site, might shape your view of the world. The places we give your, our attention shape the reality that we see. And what the gorilla experiment shows is if you're paying attention to too small of things, you can miss the biggest, most important thing. You can pay attention to counting basketball passes and miss the gorilla in the room. The neuroscientist who set up the experiment says, at some point your eyes looked right at the gorilla, yet you did not see it. And he points out, the scariest thing is, not only are we unaware of the gorilla, but we are unaware of our unawareness. <laughs> we can fail to even notice that we're missing the biggest things. Or in the language of verse 1, we can drift away. To drift is to not even notice you're moving away from Jesus. You can think, I'm following Jesus. I've always followed him. I do all the Christian things. This is my main thing. And still be letting another story shape your life more than Jesus's. You can be missing the one that deserves our greatest attention. You can be a ship that flies the flag of Jesus and still be drifting at sea instead of journeying after him. If you've ever tried to steer a boat, it's really tough because our perception kind of plays tricks on the water. I found it's easiest to pick a landmark in the distance to pay attention to so that I don't drift off degree by degree and find myself at another destination entirely. What if the distractions that steal our attention from Jesus similarly slide us off course degree by degree? I think sometimes we expect we can bank on our spiritual past or our moral goodness to keep us heading in the right direction. But think about Noah. The Bible described him as the one righteous person in the world. <laughs> and he pretty soon found himself off course in a drunken stupor. Think about Apostle Peter, how even after Jesus rose from the dead, he had to be rebuked by Paul because he drifted from his liberty and mission in Jesus. If anybody could have banked that he knew what was up, it was Peter. Think about story after story we've been hit with of pastors and Jesus followers that we love who keep falling away. So how do we drift? We don't tell anyone what's going on in our hearts. In fact, we don't notice what's going on in our hearts ourselves. We don't let God's word challenge our hearts or take us to Jesus. How do we drift? <laughs> We've been busy. We've given our attention elsewhere. We give Jesus our two hours on Sunday, but those other 110 waking hours of the week are ours. How do we drift? 
We make small justifications to stop showing up, stop reading the word, stop going to small group, stop praying, stop responding to our Christian friends, stop eating together at this table. We say, I'll make room for the Lord later. Have you started back attending church regularly post-COVID? It's actually a biblical command that Christians gather. Church means the assembly, the gathering of believers. And although virtual church is a, a gift in times of necessity and crisis, I wonder whether that is actually gathering that we're called to on a regular, on a regular basis. Jesse, how will you drift? All of the above. You won't take time to notice or reveal your heart. You'll be too busy. You'll make justifications and excuses. You'll find yourself equipping us for ministry from your own many gifts rather than from communion with the Lord. Verse 3 says we can neglect such a great salvation and fail to even notice. So what is the gorilla that we need to pay attention to? What does God want us to pay attention to? Look at verse 1 again. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard what we have heard. He's talking about God's revelation in Jesus. Friends, we have to pay much closer attention to the story of Jesus. Jesus is the biggest thing. He's not an add-on. He's not um, a lifestyle. He's not something to make you a good person. He's our life. He's the thing. And if Jesus is not the priority, it means you're missing the gorilla. Christians, you can have St. Augustine as your direct ancestor. <laughs> Your name can be all over the Trinity Bulletin, but if you're not paying attention to Jesus, you will find yourself drifting. You will be drifting. Look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proves to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution. Let me pause this. This sounds confusing, but he's talking about the Old Testament, and he's saying, if you thought the Torah was a big deal, if that was reliable and worth every ounce of our attention... And if it caused problems when God's people stopped paying attention to that, then, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's saying if we know even more of the good news than the ancient Israelites did, the bigger story of what God's doing in the world, how can we neglect this? How can we not pay attention to this? This is literally what we've been looking for. It's literally the point, Jesus, and yet we can miss him. To be clear, he's not discounting the Old Testament. He's saying through God's revelation in Jesus, we now get to see the full gorilla. So why is this story and this man worth our full attention? The author emphasizes three reasons. The story of Jesus is reality, it's our mission, and he's our salvation. First, the story of Jesus is reality. If we want to see reality accurately, we have to pay attention to Jesus. Look at verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he's telling us why the story is reliable. He's saying it was written by Jesus, it was signed by his eyewitnesses, and it was notarized by God the Father through the miracles that Jesus and his apostles performed. He's saying this story is reality. The story of Jesus is reliable news. You have every reason to put your confidence in it. In fact, if you want to live in reality, you have to live inside this story. 
the conviction of the Bible is that Jesus is the foundational reality of the world, and it's only in light of him we see reality. And that means we should never be scared of truth. All truth is God's truth. All reality is God's. But as we discern truth, we must be aware of how our lens of what we're paying attention to shapes how we view reality. A social commentator recently wrote, if you lived in the media ecosystem of your political enemies, you'd share their beliefs. That should give us pause, right? And some compassion and empathy. What we pay attention to shapes how we view reality. The lens we wear impacts the truth we discern. And my question is, how will we not be, be deceived by the fake news that is everywhere? And I'm not talking about political fake news, but fake meaning of life news. Fake who you are and who God is news. Fake what you're here for news. The water we swim in, for liberal and conservative alike, for rich and poor alike, for religious and secular alike, says the reference point for our lives is ourselves. That our life is about living out our desires. Our life is about achieving a great identity. And these sound nice, but biblically, they're all fake news. The Bible might name these autonomy, selfishness, and self-righteousness. And all of those are anxiety factories because falsehood destroys us. Friends, I'm not talking about those people out there. It's not those people who listen to the fake news stories. It's all of us. It's you. It's me. It's the air we breathe. And that means we have to pay much closer attention to the story of Jesus. We must wear him as our lens because he is reality. But second, the story of Jesus entails our mission. Our mission is to live into Jesus' story. And often we talk of being saved by God, by grace, through faith. And this is such a central aspect of the story of Jesus. But sometimes we get confused with respect to what our salvation is for. Sometimes we, we think we get saved, so we'll go to heaven. But that can seem shallow, even selfish or escapist. Is that really such a great salvation? If that's the purpose of salvation, then for what reason do we keep paying attention to the story? If I'm saved, who cares? Look at verse 5. He's talking about what humans are for here. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and he's quoting Psalm 8, which we hit earlier this summer. What is man that you are mindful of him? or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This passage amazingly says that God has given humanity rule of his world as kings and queens of his creation. And this royal calling goes back to the first chapter of the Bible where humans are told they're made in God's image and commanded to rule the world on behalf of God ruling in his love, strength, mercy, justice, and kindness. See, our vocation from the beginning was to bear God's image into the world, to bring his kingdom and blessing, not in our own autonomous power, but through loving communion with God. And given the context of this passage is salvation in Jesus. It's answering the question, what is our salvation for? And reminding us the purpose of our salvation is not principally to go to heaven as in to escape, but that we might live in communion with him and so engage in his mission 
to bear Jesus' image into the world, reflecting his sacrificial love that his kingdom might come. Jesus saves us that we might have communion in his love and from that communion take up our mission to bear his love that the world might be blessed. That is a giant mission. That is a powerful salvation. Your kingdom come. The story of Jesus says your life has royal significance. You are here as God's kings and queens to bless the world in his love. And this means to miss the story of Jesus is to miss the meaning and mission of life. If you want to know who we are and what we're here for, you have to pay attention to this story. How else will we know God and how to reflect him in the world? How else will we know how he pays attention to his world in love that we might imitate him? How else might we live into this story? As we pay attention to Jesus, we find his life displays our mission. His life is our mission. Friends, our mission is to live into the story of Jesus, bearing his image, that the world might be blessed. And then third, he's our salvation. I want to define salvation as finding the thing we're looking for most, which encompasses our hope, our freedom, our security, meaning, restoration, love, and joy. We're often looking for nothing less than this kind of salvation in our families, in our jobs, even in our choices of entertainment. I ask you to pay attention to verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Okay, what the author is doing here is incredible. He's interpreting Psalm 8 in light of Jesus. And that is significant because it says Jesus, as the representative of humanity, has accomplished our vocation and mission as humans for us. So the passage turns from our mission, what we are to do, to what Jesus has done. And whenever we read the story of Jesus, this turn always happens. It's the turn of grace. And it focuses our attention square on Jesus and his heart for his people. In our passage, this turn of grace is amazing. We saw how our vocation is to bear his image. But here this says, he has borne our image to bless the world and fulfill our mission on our behalf. The living God has come into, has broken into his world and has ruled the world in love in our place so that this world might be restored. Verse eight, says, verse 8 says, God is making all things new, that everything in this world is going to be ruled by King Jesus and made new in his love. And then look with me at verse 9. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Although we're made for life with God, we often don't even pay attention to him. <laughs> but Jesus has tasted separation from God the Father, so we might not continue to live into our separation of not paying attention, into our futility and the destruction of life apart from him. But that we might live in the fullness of communion with the living God. The Son of God accomplished our mission in his life, 
and suffer for us in his death, that we might live in communion with God, restored to our mission. That's amazing news. In Jesus, God has shown he loves you even when you don't take up the mission, even when you don't pay attention to him, because God's love is not transactional. Friends, if you're united to Jesus, God's word to you is well done because of what Jesus has done. And it's not an amorphous well done. It's a particular well done to you, Jesse. A well done to you, Kelly. A well done to you, Stephen. Because he knows and pays attention to you and delights in you. That means there's no more proving yourself, no shame, no anxiety, no hustling for an identity. Because Jesus has achieved your identity. You're his beloved. Jesse, you're not starting your ministry, but today, as you are confirmed in the work you've been doing and are called to do, this is the place you must begin. Trinity member and visitor, this is the place we must begin each day. It's the place Jesus began, receiving the Father's voice. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Trinity, Jesse, this voice is yours through Christ Jesus. Amazing, right? Who are we that the living God is mindful of us, that he cares for us? As we pay attention to Jesus, we find that he was already paying attention to us. And there's total freedom here in his care, total security, total hope of restoration, because this is the one love that will never fail since it's built on the certain accomplishments of Jesus. This is the salvation we're looking for. And friends, this chastens us from relying on the autopilots of our spiritual past or our moral success because we don't rely on ourselves for salvation. We rely on Jesus. And if you miss this, you miss the whole point. To miss Jesus' salvation is to miss the point and joy of life. It's to be left alone, to bulletproof yourself against the chaos of the world and to close yourself off to the depths of love and joy that God offers. Our lives are these incredible moral dramas <laughs> that focus on what Jesus has done. And the part we play has to do with what we're going to do with this story. God has spoken in Jesus. What will we do with that? Will we keep living life on our own terms? Will we let our autonomy blow past such that we're, we merely say we're Christians as little cherries on top of our self-determined lives? Or will we let these things radically change and shape us? Will we give our lives to paying much closer attention? This story really is our salvation. Okay, finally, I want to ask this. What might it look like in our lives to pay closer attention to Jesus? Maybe talk about this today and this week with your family and friends. Here are two applications. First, notice. We can miss the biggest things and not even notice. Notice where your heart is. Are you seeking to grow in Christ or are you relying on the autopilots of the past? Do you ever pause to notice your heart? I want you to ask, what might it look like to create a rhythm of noticing my heart and where I'm forgetting to pay attention to Jesus? And you might have to notice where you need to pay less attention from other good things. We may have to pay less attention to other good things for better things. What good things do you need to pay less attention to because they've become obstacles to paying attention to Jesus? And then second, redirect. 
Since we're prone to drift, we always have to be actively redirecting our hearts to pay attention to Jesus. And Jesus has given us word, prayer, and sacraments, the means of grace, to redirect our hearts, to reveal himself and redirect our hearts back to the story. These are how we pay attention, as well as corporate worship and Sabbath and tithing and silence and meditation and friends. Listen, if you don't know how to do these things, let's learn together. We're given to one another to help each other pay attention to Jesus. Let's learn how to read God's word, how to meditate on it and pray over it. We're given to one another here to discuss the story of Jesus with respect to our media use, our time use, our jobs. Friends, this is what community groups are for. If you're not in a community group, I encourage you to make this a priority so we can help each other redirect toward paying attention to Jesus. And then my final application is for you, Jesse. Trinity is asking you to pay close attention to Jesus. We're calling you to do life with Jesus, paying attention to his word and prayer and your communion with God, paying attention to your own heart. We call you to this not to relieve us of this responsibility, but because we want you to shepherd us in this. We're calling you to remind us of God, to call us to pay attention to him. And we're calling you to remind God of us and to call him to pay attention to us as he's promised. We're calling you to the work of love, and that begins by paying attention to the one who himself is the embodiment of love. And Jesse, if you do pay attention to Jesus in this job, you're doing the one thing that God asks of you. But what's the goal of all this paying attention to Jesus? It's not that we would become monks or that we'd be able to rely on our own uh, religious success, but then in seeing Jesus, we will love him more and so be brought into his life for the good of the world. It's that we'd see reality clearly, engage the mission fully, and rejoice in our salvation for God's glory. I have a daughter, and often when I'm with her, some crazy thing pops in my brain, different from the concussion. <laughs> that tells me I should open my phone and look at my news or check my email or see who's playing the game today. And those things are all fine, but then I look up and it's a few minutes later and she's looking at me to see if I am paying attention to her dancing. And she won't love me any less if I'm on my phone and it doesn't change my status with her because she's my daughter, right? But I'm missing out on the beauties of fatherhood and something in me for some reason has told me the news is more important and a bigger deal than engaging with my daughter when literally the inverse is true. How much more can we think that our studies or our work or our children or our relationships are more important than the God of the universe who desires to live in communion with us? If you're connected to Jesus, he won't love you any less and your status with him won't change. You're his beloved. But maybe in doing life on our own, we're missing out on the whole point of life with Jesus. Friends, don't miss the gorilla in the middle of this stage. Jesus and his story of salvation are the biggest things. Let's pay much closer attention. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great salvation. Thank you for paying attention to us. You call us to pay much closer attention. Will you help us? Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Amen.